Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Appreciate um, that, that that is there in Tifton to, to be done. And, and um, Tiffany, thank you so much for sharing about that. As well as when you go out this morning um, at the door, there will be um, girls there with baby bottles. Um, we did that last year. You, you, you put in change or cash there. That goes straight to the Pregnancy Care Center to um, help them as they do the, their work in Tifton. Um, and certainly, um, if you're interested, talk to Tiffany about how to, how to serve there and volunteer. Um, and we're continuing to pray for, um, for that ministry. So um, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Um, we're taking these four weeks of January to talk about sharing our faith, what that looks like, how to do that, and why that's such an importance in our Christian life. Um, And today we'll be in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Do you like to fly in planes? Um, Even though I'm terrified of heights, I really enjoy flying in planes for some reason, Heights out a window from 40,000 feet don't bother me, but, you know, 10 stories up do. I, I don't know, but um, I've flown probably 40 times in my life. Um, my first flight was uh, from Nashville, Tennessee to Boston, Massachusetts when I was 20. I turned 21 when I was in Boston, so 2013 about. Um, and um, I've flown about 40 times since. I'm going to be flying later this year, Lord willing. Um, Adrian and I are taking my dad to uh, Jackson Hole and to Yellowstone and all of that for his 60th birthday. He turned 60 last year, but we were having a baby at the time, so we had to postpone our trip with him. Um, so we're, Lord willing, going to take him up there. It'll be his first flight ever. So um, he's, he's um, never flown, um, except he was in a helicopter one time medically, but, um, but he's never flown a plane. Um, let me show you a picture. Um, this is a Boeing 747-8. This is one of the largest planes in the world. Um, Well, it's one of the largest planes you can book a flight in out of an airport. Uh, It's two stories tall, so there's two two levels in that thing. Um, It can hold 467 passengers. Just for for comparison, a typical flight through Delta out of Atlanta holds 160 passengers. So this thing holds about three times what a typical plane holds when you, you know, a plane that you've probably flown on. There's only 155 of these in the world, uh, this model here. Um, If you fly first class in this thing, it probably costs more money than any of us have, but but you get in that flight a full course meal um, that actually looks appetizing, not like the TV dinners that you get, you know, in regular coach. Um, You get a seat that reclines with legs up. Um, You get a bed. You get a TV, you get a bottle of wine, and you get a rose and a vase. I don't know what, I guess the rose and the vase is just to look pretty. I I don't know, but you get all those things if you fly first class in this airplane right here. The longest flight one of them does is from South Korea to Atlanta, Georgia. 
7,152 miles. It takes 15 hours, 40 minutes to fly it. This is a massive piece of human ingenuity. But the fact is, if there's no fuel in this thing, it can do nothing. It's a worthless piece of metal if there's no fuel in this thing. It can't move. It can't fly. Fuel is the key to it being able to do any of its great feats. Without fuel, it's a useless hunk of metal. And as we talk about sharing our faith this month, as we talk about reaching out with the gospel, we need to understand that that's how we are too. We have to talk about our jet fuel. God provides us with power to be able to share our faith clearly and boldly, but if we don't access that fuel, we're going to be useless at doing it, useless at sharing our faith. And so let's look at our power today, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. There's a website you can find on the internet called the Rapture Index. The Rapture Index. It's very silly. It's a very silly place. The people who make it are serious, but it's very silly. It takes 45 different categories of things going on in the world and rates them one to five on how bad they are right now. One being they're not that bad, five, they're terrible. Um, Everything from debt to Satanism to unemployment to the price of oil to crime rate to drought to anti-Christian culture to globalism and much, much more. Um, 45 categories of stuff. Interestingly, one of the 45 categories is date setting for the return of Jesus because that's what you're doing in in the rapture index. But anyway, you take these 45 categories and you take their score one to five and you add them up and there's a scale for how likely it is that Jesus is going to come back today. So if, it's, if the score is 100 or below, it's defined as slow prophetic activity. If it's 100 to 130, moderate prophetic activity. 130 to 160, heavy prophetic activity. And above 160, fasten your seatbelts. That's the title of the category. The all-time high on the website was October 10th, 2016 at 189 points out of, I think, 225 is what 5 times 45 is. Um, The all-time low was December 12th, 1993 at 58. So someone's at least been keeping up with this since 1993. Um, As of the most recent update, our current score is 189, which ties with the all-time high. It was updated as of, I checked it this morning, updated as of January 22nd, 2024. Do you know the problem with that? Look, that's tomorrow, yeah. I don't know how they figured that out, but um, understand that people love to make money and waste time theorizing about how close we are to the return of Jesus. 
There are authors that write a new book every few years that are just updated versions of their previous book that didn't come true about how we're on the cusp of the end times. Back during COVID, so many sermons went viral about how we were on the cusp of the end of the world or that the vaccine had a microchip in it that was the mark of the beast. Um, And people eat this stuff up when that comes out because they have no discernment for how silly that stuff is. The disciples stand on the Mount of Olives. Jesus has died and rose again. He's about to ascend to heaven. And they have had a crazy 40 days since, since Good Friday. They went from seeing all their dreams crushed in the death of Jesus to the shock of him rising from the grave to the surprise of seeing him appear to them several times to this moment right here. And they ask him, Lord, is it time? Is it time? We've been waiting. We've been waiting for you to do this. We've been waiting for you to um, bring about your kingdom. Is it time for it to happen? They still don't understand the Messiah. They still think he's a military king, that he is going to overthrow the Romans and establish an everlasting kingdom for, for the nation of Israel. And what does he tell them? He tells them, it, it's not for you to know times or seasons. It's not for you to know when is time for that to happen. Everybody knows, Jesus said you can't predict the day or the hour that he's going to come back. A lot of people like to try to predict the month or the year. But notice he says you can't know the times or even the seasons that that it's going to happen. Jesus tells them, don't worry about it. Don't worry about when when I'm going to do that. No, there's something more important. You don't need to know when, you just need to act. Matthew 24, 42, stay awake. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. There's, there's no timetable to it. Just pay attention to today and be faithful today. That's what he says. We don't need to know the time of Jesus coming. We need, to, we need to wait faithfully for his coming. And we wait for it, not by speculating about how close we are, but by witnessing. Notice, the, notice what he says. It, verse 7, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but, when you see but, that means that the statement before what he's about to say is the opposite of that. What you should focus on is what he's about to say, not, not what he just said. So, but, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are his witnesses, he says. Jesus speaks to, his, to all of his disciples here and gives them that commission. By implication, he gives this to all of his disciples. If you're here and you're a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus. That's who you are. There is no differentiation between Christians and disciples. Um, certainly these 11 were apostles. That was an office. But there's no differentiation between a, just a general Christian that goes to church and a really faithful, sold-out disciple. There's no differentiation there. If you're saved and not pursuing a deep, committed discipleship with him, something's wrong with your Christian life. We're to be his witnesses. His witnesses. What do witnesses do? Well, witnesses testify to what they've seen. You have a courtroom, and they're, 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 they're calling in witnesses to give their testimony so that the jury can make a proper decision about the case. So they call up all the witnesses, and they ask the witnesses questions. Hey, what did you see? How did it play out? Tell me your side of the story. They bring those in, and witnesses' job are to testify, to testify to what they've seen. The disciples were to go out telling what they had seen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We know they did that 
And we know they were successful because this morning we are meeting on nearly the other side of the world, worshiping the Jesus that they saw. their, Their witness has made it all the way around the globe and beyond. But it's not finished. They're still testifying that must be done. The torch has been passed from generation to generation, and now it's our turn to carry it. We must testify as witnesses to what we have seen and heard in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come and lived the sinless life that we haven't lived. He has come preaching that the kingdom of God has come. He has borne our sin in his body on the cross. He has risen from the dead. He has ascended to heaven and sits at the Father's right hand, and he will come again to usher in the end of history and lead his people into everlasting life with him. If you, if you want to be a part of that, we, we tell people you must repent of your sins and believe this good news. We testify to that very truth, and we do not stop testifying to it. Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Witnesses speak. It's important to emphasize that. A witness has to open their mouth and speak. Romans 10.17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Witnessing is an action that involves speaking. You have to speak to be a witness. I don't hear it as much anymore, but about 10 years ago, I used to hear um, this argument a lot of, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to speak, just, just witness with your life. In other words, you don't have to say anything, you just live a good life, and people will just naturally ask you about your faith. It, it's, that, it's that famous, infamous statement, uh, preach the gospel, use words when necessary. That's, that's silly. It's like saying, feed the hungry, use food when necessary doesn't work. You can't feed the hungry without using food. You can't preach the gospel without using words. You have to preach the gospel with words. People don't have to believe anything about you to be saved. They have to believe the message of Jesus. And your life doesn't tell them anything about, about that message. Be, don't be a jerk. You know, be loving and kind and good. Of course, don't be a jerk, but this is not your witness. Imagine that in a courtroom. You know, we've got a trial going on here, and they call up Steve, and Steve steps up into the box, and, and the lawyer comes up and says, well, what, what's, what's your testimony? He says, I don't have one. Okay, well, why are you here? Well, I'm just a good person. I figured y'all could use me as a good witness for this case. He doesn't have a testimony. He's not a witness. Your witness is to speak the message of Jesus to people. I suspect that people easily go into that witness with your life idea because it's easier. It's a lot more difficult to open your mouth and say things. Witnesses speak. Witnesses also suffer. Do you know what the Greek word for witness is? It's martyr. That's what the Greek, there's some Greek for you. The Greek word for witness is martyr. That's what martyrs in the church are. They are people who die for being a witness. We must speak of Jesus and never stop speaking of Jesus, even if they kill us for it. We must not love our life in this world so much that that we don't open our mouths about Jesus. We have nothing to fear of people who can kill the body. Our life is found in the message we proclaim. But the truth is, in America, we probably won't die for sharing our faith. No, we, we will rather have to choose to live being a witness for Jesus which for some people is worse than death. Many people would rather die than be mocked by other people. 
But if a believer dies as a witness, great things come from it. John 12, 24, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's how it happened in the history of the church. You kill one Christian and ten others pop up. It's how it's always happened. That's why they can't stop the church. The church just continues to spread because even if they try and snuff it out with death, God continues to build the church. He's going to do that. And the average Christian does not share their faith. And there's a lot of reasons why. Fear or not knowing what to say or apathy or pride or whatever. And God gives a solution for every reason we give for not sharing our faith. He gives us power. Power. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Our power is found in the Holy Spirit. Next week on Sunday nights, um, I'm going to begin a six-week Bible study about the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's a member of the Trinity. He's the member of the Trinity that we tend to know the least about, and we tend to neglect the easiest, especially in the Baptist church, because we we don't want to look like those crazy people that run up and down the aisle, right? But the Holy Spirit is essential to Christian life. He literally animates and gives life to every part of your Christian life. Without him, you will do nothing as a Christian. There is a difference um, when you are a Christian, you are um, indwelt by the Spirit, so you become a Christian and and the Spirit comes to live in you, but at different times you're filled with the Spirit in different ways. You have to be filled with the Spirit if you're going to have that power in Acts 1.8. If you're a Christian, understand this. You literally have God living in you at all times. At all times. You are a temple of the living God. You must regularly ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up, to make you a vessel to be used for him. The Holy Spirit is the jet fuel of the Christian. Without him, you're, you're, we're, we're pretty useless without him. Maybe that explains why, why, why some of us are so weak in our, as a Christian. We never draw on the power the Holy Spirit gives. Listen, you cannot understand the Bible apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot grow as a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot love and forgive other people apart from the Holy Spirit. I cannot do what I'm doing right now apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot witness to the gospel without the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit, and God gives you that power. Yet how self-sufficient we try to be, aren't we? We try to do everything in our own strength because we think we're able, and we're not. If you never share your faith, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and then go do as he leads you. How does the Holy Spirit empower evangelism, sharing our faith? Let me give you a few ways. He gives you the boldness to speak. Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit gives you boldness to proclaim Jesus. Secondly, he gives you the words to say. Matthew ten nineteen and 20. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. One of the reasons people give for not sharing their faith often is I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong thing. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the words, and even if you do say the wrong thing, that's okay. God will take your messed up words and still use them. He will. You don't have to have that pressure. He's the one that does the work. You just speak. And thirdly, the Spirit empowers sharing our faith by magnifying Jesus. John 16, 13, 14. 
When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He glorifies Jesus. He wants to put Jesus on display. And so when our job is to put Jesus on display to others, we just have to let the Holy Spirit do what he does. He puts Jesus on display to others. You cannot share the gospel without the Holy Spirit. You're as useless as an airplane with no gas if you try. We have that power. We're also to go to the whole world. Look there in verse 8. You're going to be my witnesses in four places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Four different locations. The disciples are commissioned to go to the whole world. Um, chapter Chapter 1, verse 8 is very much an outline of the book of Acts. And um, so, so chapters 1 through 7, they're going to be in Jerusalem. They stay huddled up in Jerusalem like a lot of Christians do, just in a Christian bubble. And then Stephen gets killed in Jerusalem, so they kind of have to scatter or they're all going to get killed. So God kind of forces them to scatter. And chapters 8 through 12, they go to um, Judea and Samaria. Judea was the region that Jerusalem was in. Samaria was, was a, a, a region over to um, in a different area. Um, it was also a region Jewish people hated. And then the last part of Acts 13 through 28 is Paul and Barnabas commissioned to, to go to the nations. And by the end of the book, Paul has gotten to, the, to Rome preaching the gospel, and Rome was the center of the known world at the time. So people came there from all over the world. So he's preaching to them, and then they're taking the message back home. So the gospel can literally go to the ends of the earth by him being in Rome. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to all people. We, we could think of that in many ways. Um, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board has taken this verse and applied it to how they do their missions ministry. So Jerusalem, you, you do work in the town that you live in. You, Judea, you do missions in the state of Georgia. Samaria, it's the whole United States. And then ends of the earth, international trips. That's how the Georgia Baptist Mission Board has framed their mission work. But more than that, you're called to share the gospel with those near to you and far from you. This isn't just about getting our kids saved and leaving the rest of the world to burn. Um, my kids are on the top of my list of lost people, but the, the world is full of kids who don't have Christian parents sharing the gospel with them, who will die and go to hell apart from God if nothing changes. We take the gospel to them. We have to take the gospel to our neighbors, the ones with the nice house and the ones that live in the trailer with garbage all around it. We take the gospel to our coworkers, the ones we sit with at lunch, and the ones who make our jobs miserable. We take, our, we take the gospel to our family members, the ones we love the most, and the crazy ones that ruin the Christmas gatherings. We take the gospel to the rich and the poor. We take the gospel to the clean and the filthy. We take the gospel to those who vote differently than we do, to those who have different lifestyles, sexual lifestyles than we do, to, to those who everybody else has already written off. We take the gospel to them. We take the gospel to those that are white and black and red and yellow and gray and green and purple and blue. We take it to all people, those who, have not, who we've not forgiven for something they did to us in 20 years. We take the gospel to them. Those who represent everything we think is wrong with America, we take the gospel to them. And everyone else everywhere, we take the gospel. All of these people are people who are made in God's image, who he loves and still wants. He wants them to repent and believe that they can be made blood-bought sons and daughters. 
And we are plan A to get the gospel to them, and there is no plan B. Jesus has flipped the disciples' understanding on their head. They they thought Jesus was just creating a Jewish kingdom, but he is bringing redemption to the whole world. That that means he, he wasn't coming to destroy the Roman Empire as they thought. He was coming to save the Roman Empire. So, so that Romans and Jews could worship God right beside each other. Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. He's telling them, guys, this isn't just about Israel anymore. It's about the whole world. Be grateful for that. Because you're not Israel. None of us in this room are Israelites. We are the pagan Gentiles that if Israel had had their way, they would have thrown us into the fiery furnace. And Jesus said, no, I want them. I want them for myself. So Jesus gives them this commission, and then he ascends to heaven. He ascends, verses 9 through 11, he ascends up to heaven. After Jesus does this, he goes to sit at his Father's right hand. And and honestly, we don't give this event enough thought and and don't know the importance of it, probably because there's no holiday around it. There's a holiday around around the birth and the death and the resurrection, but there's no holiday around the ascension of Jesus. But the ascension of Jesus is as important biblically as his death and resurrection. Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So by ascending, Jesus is at the Father's right hand and is therefore superior to every being in existence. 1 Peter 3.22, he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Everything is subject to him forever. He has all authority. Psalm 110.1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is at the Father's right hand and he's slaying his enemies right now. Hebrews 4.14 um, and 15, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is at the Father's right hand as our great high priest, constantly interceding for us, constantly there for us, constantly understanding us, walking with us. That's what it means. And John fourteen twelve. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Jesus being at God's right hand means that we can do greater works than him, not in, not in quality and quantity. Um, when, when he's got his entire church working on the world, we do more works than Jesus did, right? In, in quantity, not in quality. He's ascended, and he's coming again. That's what he says. He, the, the men of Galilee, um, the, the men appear, and they say, why are you all looking up at heaven? Jesus is going to come again, so get to work. Do what he said. And in light of the fact that Jesus has ascended at God's right hand, we don't stand staring off into heaven. There's no time to waste. Jesus is coming again, so we don't sit around, um, we don't sit around trying to predict it with a rapture index. We live with urgency, knowing that when he comes, it's over. It's over. This is why it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that he will come. If you knew, you'd wait until he was about to come to start getting serious about him, to start witnessing, to start, um, to, to start going to others. And there's not enough time to reach all people if you do that. Jesus is coming soon. That's, that's, that's what the Bible says. That's what we just sang. Jesus is coming soon. Really, though? Because Jesus said he was coming soon, but... That's been 2,000 years ago. That doesn't sound like soon to me. 
You don't know when it is going to be, so you live as though it's soon because it might be. It, it, it might be soon. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's coming soon, but he's giving a lot of time because he wants the lost people in your life to have more chances to repent. He's going to come. One day a trumpet will sound and the clouds will part and Jesus will be there descending to earth and he will kill his enemies with the breath of his mouth and he will land on the Mount of Olives and and that will be it. The king will have returned to earth to reclaim it forever as his and he will usher in eternity. Judgment day will happen and on that day those who know Jesus will receive their great salvation. They will enter into fellowship with Jesus forever, never to die again. It will be a glorious day for those of us who know him, but for those who do not know him, it will be utter horror. It will be over. There will be no more chances. When the clouds part and Jesus appears, it's eternal joy for us. But for those who have not received Christ, it will be a great, the greatest horror that they've ever known. Scripture says they will literally desire rocks to crush their brains lest they have to face the wrath of the Lamb. They will go to eternal hell. They will spend forever and ever and ever and ever separated from God and enduring his wrath for all of their sins, and they will deserve every bit of it. This is going to happen to some of your loved ones. If nothing changes, it's going to happen to some of your neighbors, some of the people around you. This, this is as true as we can get. Wrap your head around this. They will go to hell if they don't have Jesus. No matter how much you love them, no matter how much of a good, decent person they are, apart from Christ, their sins aren't paid for, and they will go to hell forever. And you and your witness may be their only hope. So ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with boldness and go to them, because there's only so much time left until either they die or Jesus returns. And when he returns... There will be no do-overs, no second chances. That will be it forever. Let me close today by reading Romans chapter 9, a passage I find to be maybe the hardest in Scripture. Romans 9, verses 1 through 5. Listen to what Paul says. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Just hear the heart of what Paul's saying there. He's speaking of of Israelites who don't believe the gospel, who are on their way to hell. And he he says, like, like, I so much want them to be saved, I, I would be willing to be accursed and cut off from Christ if they could be saved for it. Like, I don't know what Paul's thinking saying that, but, but he clearly has a greater burden for lost people than I do because I don't say that about anybody. May we have that kind of zeal and urgency for the lost in our lives, for there is only so much time left 
for them to hear and receive. And when the time comes and it's over, it's over. So bow your heads and close your eyes right now. I want you to think about someone you know that doesn't know Jesus. Don't just think of scumbags. Think of everyday people who you know who don't know Jesus. They, they may be good, moral people, but if they don't know Jesus, that's, that's not enough to cover their sins. Think about that person right now. And just understand what we've just talked about is their future if nothing changes. If nothing changes, they will spend eternity separated from God forever. So I ask you this morning, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Because we are his witnesses to those near and far from us. Father, I come to you and, and I pray that these people would be imprinted on our minds now. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, and fill us with love for these people. True love that demands that we go to them and we implore them, turn to God, turn to Jesus. Lord, as we are praying now, I think of that verse that I've read from Acts 4 where the church was praying for this very thing. And it says that when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, give us that. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit and give us the boldness to speak the word of God because those in our life only have so much time until you shut the window. Oh God, may you give us urgency. In Jesus' name, amen.